our perception of reality is a controlled hallucination. It's very interesting. So imagine if you got the brain, it's in this black box, that's your skull. It never gets any direct information such as light or sound. Everything comes through as an electrical impulse. And based on that, it creates the story of reality and the story of the self. Because over time, if you constantly feel unsafe, if you constantly feel you are being evaluated, that you have to perform, if you constantly feel, oh, maybe people don't like me, if these are the stories you constantly tell yourself, it will affect your mental health to a quite significant degree. Hello and welcome. Welcome back to another another episode of Finding Equilibrium. How are you today? I hope all is well in your world. And today I'm with uh, the wonderful Georgie Toma. And Georgie, we met probably not that long ago, but I feel we've had many, many conversations. And, and, and of course, Georgie is the uh, creator of the Heart and Brain Protocol which is super fascinating. So I'm looking forward to finding out more about that. And also you're a well-being um, researcher and which is which is fascinating. So, so maybe for the benefit of everybody who doesn't know, doesn't know you, um, uh, please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to be uh, uh, the, the, the founder and creator of uh, a really interesting uh, protocol and business uh, and, and a well-being researcher. Hi, Lawrence, and hi, everyone. I'm so happy to be here. Um, yeah, so what, what triggered it? What triggered it? Um, I think it started off with um, a curiosity as to the systems we use to create our reality. And it started off, um, I guess, from my earlier um, years, I was growing up in Romania. And when I was five years old, we had a revolution. And so the, the communist system was overturned. And um, what was interesting to me, well, being five, you, you know, there's not a lot of brain capacity there. But as you grow older, you encounter various stories of that event. So what was very interesting to me was that different people had very different accounts of the same historical event. And as you grow older and you start engaging in relationships or, you know, with your family, with your friends, with, with a partner, you, you start to come across that phenomena over and over again, right? You, you, you are part of an event, you have a perception of it, an account of it, and then someone else can have a completely different uh, view. Yeah. So how is that possible? So that, that sparked a curiosity into understanding the ways in which we tell stories. It started off like that, you know, how do we tell stories? But then it continued into looking at perception and how our brain constructs perception. So that's one way that it started and and then another way was uh, i guess my own personal encounter with mental illness or let's say mental difficulty and and i myself have experienced burnout have experienced depression and have experienced anxiety so i know firsthand the toll um, these can have on someone and so again i um the spark was really that I sought help. I didn't get the help that I needed. And so I was put in a position that I had to help myself. Wow. And I guess that those are the moments in life, you know, that, that, that can either break you or make you, I guess, mm. is the moments when you really have to make a choice 
right? You, you really have to make a choice. You commit to making a change to improve your life. You have to be put in that position, I, I think. For mm. a lot of people, it has to come as some sort of breaking point mm. or rock bottom, right? And, and we've seen this pattern repeat itself over history many, many times, right? Mm. And so that was the same pattern for me, right? This, this kind of breaking point, having to make a decision, and then you need to have tools that will help you. And so uh, research is great because it already tells us a lot about mental health and a lot about what works. And so based on that, I started to adapt some of the things that I saw in research that they were working, I started to adapt them, put them in practice for myself, first and foremost. And initially, um, I created a, a 90 day program um, that was supposed to help me really, at that stage in my life, I was suicidal, right. And so mm -hmm. there was this moment when, you know, I couldn't bear the suffering anymore. And so I tried to get help and it's good to talk to people, but I didn't get really any kind of specific tools that will, that will help me stop the kind of thought patterns that were on recurrent mode in my head. That's mm -hmm. one of the interesting things that I think we need to talk more about. How does, for example, depression look into practice? You know, how does it look? How does it feel like for someone that has it? You know, and so both depression and anxiety and burnout are characterized by a certain type of recurrent thoughts. Yes. And what they have in common is a distortion when it comes to perception, distorted perception. That, that's so yes. interesting. Yes. Just, just, let me just interrupt you yeah. there because I because we, we've touched on your on your mm. situation, but I'd love to understand more like where were you? What happened uh, when you experienced this, um, you know, this, um, this breakdown, if you like, this terrible um, experience? How long ago was that? Uh, I was in Sydney, actually. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was living at that time in Australia. Uh, that was, well, I've experienced um, really chronic stress that led to burnout, that led to depression from 2013 uh, up until uh, 2017. Okay. And that was a, a, a significant, um, that was a significant breaking point. And I think one of the things that I wanna share with people is that um, myself included and many of the people that I've worked with, what happens is you ignore the messages that your body and your brain send you. You, you kind of ignore it and you say, no, no, push through, push through, you can do this, oh, come on. You know, come on, mm -hmm. you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just, I'll sort that I'll, I'll get more rest at the weekend or I'll get more rest on that holiday. I can I just go through this year. Right. And so what happens is an accumulation and really that's, that's implicit even in the very definition of burnout. Right. So I believe it was only actually in May, 2019, that the world health organization recognized burnout as an occupational hazard, right? And their definition of burnout is uh, chronic workplace stress unsuccessfully managed. So the key here is chronic, right? And so you feel stress and stress in itself is not a bad thing, is not a good thing, is a biological response mm -hmm. that's wired in our nervous system. And so there's, there's uh, something we call neuroception. And what is that? It's basically the fact that outside of our awareness, our brain is constantly scanning the environment for threats. And so if a threat is perceived, 
it triggers a stress response. Mm. Now, the interesting thing is that this threat can be real or imaginary. And what I mean by imaginary is it's not, it doesn't have a real presence in our physical reality. So for example, you know, you have to give a presentation, let's say next week, or you have a deadline for an important client next week, that can be a threat. So when you're thinking about that, it can trigger um, a stress response, which mm -hmm. really what it is at the very core is a fear. Mm -hmm. Yes, you feel somehow unsafe. That's a very basic definition. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I forgot where we were talking about what we were talking about. But yeah, so the idea, yeah, that's the message that I wanted to send is do not ignore the messages your body is sending you. Yes, because over time they accumulate and mm -hmm. chronic stress is very likely to lead into burnout. And burnout experienced over a period of time is very, very likely to have negative consequences on your physical health and on your mental health. Mm. It can lead to depression or is linked to depression. Mm. And there's and a lot of yeah yeah i was just gonna say and there's a lot of research that really supports yes. that now that link yes. between the um the stress response and the physical health and you know generally so i guess what you're saying is and you were in this situation where you were uh, you had all those signals so you were living in sydney yes. you had all of those signals i ignored them for many years <laughs> i pushed myself what what kind of work were you doing at the time were you researching what was your um, yes i was doing my research i was doing my first phd Okay. Um, and I was working full time. First, I was working as a as a lecturer, and then I was working as a business development manager. Okay, okay. So you had a pretty heavy kind of work life. Uh, yes, very intense. And I guess I was driven by the fact that at that time I really wanted to become an Australian permanent resident, and so I was motivated to prove myself to my employer so that I would be sponsored for a work visa and a pathway right. to permanent okay. residence. So that that's very stressful, yeah, as well. So you've got yeah. all these stresses coming <laughs> on you. <laughs> So, so what was the moment? So you, um, so you described a time and you were talking to different people looking mm. for different tools, but it sounded like you couldn't get maybe a holistic picture or you couldn't get someone who could really kind of give you what you needed at that point in time. So, yes. uh, and it sounds like you then created quite a, yes, quite an interesting protocol for yourself. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is this, I've always been quite a, a healthy individual. So I was exercising at the time. I was even engaged in a meditation practice. I had my meditation practice for many, many years. And still just that in itself did not help me, uh, did not help protect me from burnout. And so I, um, what I realized was uh, perhaps missing from the tools that I was given was a gradual process whereby I identified the kind of automatic thought processes that were making my brain interpret or create threats that weren't actually there. Right. Interesting. Because the problem is this, depending on our earlier life experiences, right? Some of us have an autonomic nervous system, our nervous system that is more prone to overreacting, right? Mm. Depending on our childhood experiences, we create a set of um, what is called cognitive distortion. So what is a cognitive distortion? It's basically, um, it functions like a line of code that interprets reality. Mm. So if you look, for example, just, just to give a, a quick understanding of this, um, 
if you look at the work of someone like Dr. Anil Seth, who works at the Center for um, Consciousness Research at the University of Sussex. So he looks at how we create the story of us, how we create this perception of consciousness. And his work and that of many others, cognitive neuroscientists, have shown that the way our brain works is, is, is by way of prediction. So basically, our perception of reality is a controlled hallucination. It's very interesting. So imagine you got the brain, it's in this black box, that's your skull. It never gets any direct information such as light or sound. Everything comes through as an electrical impulse. And based on that, it creates the story of reality and the story of the self. And what it uses to do that is a series of of um, cognitive patterns. So what I mean is like, it's kind of like, if this, that, right? It's a line, uh, let's say a code that helps it interpret. And those cognitive patterns, we create them from our childhood. That's, that's just normal, right? So just to give you a very simple example, let's say you've had parents who wanted to motivate you to get better grades, right? Mm-hmm. And so they would say, oh, look at your brother or look at your sister. You know, they got all these great grades. Why can't you do that? Come on, work harder. Okay. <laughs> Repeated over time, the signal that gets interpreted by a brain that is young, doesn't have experience of the world. The interpretation, or more correctly, the misinterpretation there is, I am doing something wrong. I am displeasing this figure who for me is first and foremost a provider of safety because parents first and foremost provide a sense of safety. Then there's love, then whatever, but first and foremost is safety. So the provider of safety is displeased with my behavior, right? That's a threat. Next thing is, okay, well, who I am is not enough. Clearly I have to do something in order to get the feeling of safety, to get the feeling of love, to get the feeling of excitement. This sets the conditions for all the perfectionists in the world, for all the people that at some level don't feel good enough. It's so interesting, yeah. It's like That's just one example. But it's programming is what you're describing. It's a a programming. So I guess if you are one of these people, uh, and I include myself in that group in terms of who suffers from, you know, perfectionist, uh, Mm. itist or or whatever, you know, uh, you're kind of... (laughs) (laughs) But when you become aware of it, because it Mm. makes sense, um, and how do you reprogram that like is it possible to reprogram yes. that so that you can uh, experience um because some some of that is good like we're not saying that um exactly. some of that programming is bad but some of yeah. it clearly you know what what, what 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 we often say is you know just because some is good doesn't mean a lot is better you know i think this is a yeah. good example of that uh, when, yeah. when it gets out of balance uh, then out of equilibrium you know as we would say then yeah. you know it starts to create the chronic stress and the the uh, the perceived threats that that, uh, yes. that you describe so i'd love you to to talk about maybe with reference to your own example because this is where the mm-hmm. whole protocol came from and then maybe yeah. we could talk uh, a little bit more now about how it's evolved from mm. there into uh, into heart brain uh, heart brain into heart and brain uh, into the heart brain protocol yeah so we we started from a very simple um first of all my awareness 
right? That these patterns aren't serving me. And also, and importantly, that I'm not aware of all their patterns that are tinting my perception of reality. Because over time, if you constantly feel unsafe, if you constantly feel you are being evaluated, that you have to perform, if you constantly feel, oh, maybe people don't like me, if these are the stories you constantly tell yourself, it will affect your mental health to a quite significant degree. And they're not true. And so the the well the heart and brain well-being protocol is a systematic process whereby first and foremost you become aware, you become aware of certain patterns that don't serve you. Because there are um, categories. All of us as humans, the beautiful thing about all of us as humans is that no matter where we're from, how old we are, what culture, we have very similar patterns of forming those cognitive, um, those cognitive patterns and also of forming cognitive distortions. <laughs> so our brains tend to make very similar mistakes. And uh, just as one example, uh, the, doc, the, the work of Dr. David Burns, who's a psychiatrist at the University of Stanford and has studied depression for many, many years, his entire career. And he's a brilliant scientist. And what he discovered was 10 cognitive distortions that all people who suffer from depression have. So for example, one of them is uh, taking things personally called personalization. So you, you look at the environment and you see an event that's negative and somehow you link it to yourself, even though you might not be responsible for it or you're not the only one responsible or it's really not even about you. That's just one example. So coming back to that, the heart and brain well-being protocol takes all of that into account. So it's got a very strong component of cognitive behavioral therapy, right? But, but that is coupled with mindfulness, with meditation and with mindset training. Okay, so it's like a blend, so, a blend of all of those modalities. Yes. Yeah, it's cool. Yes, and I think it is important to acknowledge that we need a blend of those modalities in order to really effect um, sustainable change, mm. right? Because the reality is, it takes time to change these patterns. It takes commitment and it takes time. It's not difficult in itself, but you need to be committed. And so the first stage is that of awareness. You need to understand the ways in which your brain is influencing your perception in a way that's not helpful and in a way that's not accurate. Mm. And then we have very simple tools. Just the, the process of rewiring itself is very simple. Uh, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to spend hours meditating. First and foremost, uh, I couldn't. I was working long hours and, and I still work long hours. Um, but there needs to come a process where you become more and more comfortable with meeting yourself in silence. That needs to happen. What do you mean by that? I, lo I love what you say, and I think I know mm. what you mean, but um, it would be great to um, yeah. uh, expand on that a little bit. I often ask people, okay, when was the last time you sat just with yourself not looking at your phone, not listening to a podcast, not watching a video, just listening with yourself, mm. you know, just listening to yourself, being with yourself on mm. a date with yourself, you know, 
when was the last time you said to yourself hey you know what i really i really quite like you <laughs> you know sure. do you take a moment to look at yourself in the mirror really look at yourself and to say hey have a good day have a beautiful day today you know mm. so what i mean is that there needs to be a moment where a decision is made to stop running on this little treadmill having these dreams that society you know helps us create like oh uh, the house the children the car the job the whatever um you know just mm. stop running stay a moment in silence and understand what's going on with you yes. take control mm. at the very basis of the uh, of the very the very basic premise of the well-being protocol is this idea every time in life there's two zones you occupy there's no in between there's two zones a zone of power zone of powerlessness zone of power is when you actually live and demonstrate your personal power is a zone of authenticity yeah. zone of powerlessness is quite is the opposite so how does it work in practice the reality is we have no control in life we have no control over covid we have no control whether we carry in our body a gene that at some point is going to be expressed and we're going to have a disease we have no control over that and that has been by the way my experience and that's been incredibly humbling and incredibly a gift but you have to understand that you know no control over external events not even control over what you're carrying in your own physiology mm. right you have no control over the place you were born the historical moment however and you have no control over what people are going to say to you you know you're going to walk down the street you have no control maybe a mad person is going to come up to you so what do you have control over how do you how can you even occupy a zone of power right when when you are so powerless and the idea is very simple what you do have control over is your reaction to it the fact is very like no one can make you sad upset because no one can cause an external like there's no external factor that can cause the chemical reaction chemical electrical reaction in your body it is your brain and the organs in your body your brain and your gut that are causing the phenomena that are called emotion and thought so it is you you are you are the creator of that wow. so yeah. i give this example like if someone were to walk in now and put a gun to my head right now i can say oh this person is making me feel scared i'm afraid i feel fear because of this person mm. but i want you to imagine putting a gun to a baby's head the reaction what would the reaction be most likely nothing really yes. like if the baby is happy it's going to continue being happy if the baby is curious about something else it's just going to look there is not even going to notice the gun so mm -hmm. why why because the baby does not yet have that particular cognitive pattern that the code right that says this object is called a gun this object is lethal 
that is missing from the code. So, right? So understanding that is not the person that's making me scared. It is the fact that I have this code that's telling me that's dangerous, mm. right? And by the way, this is a brilliant survival mechanism and it's a brilliant way. Like it's, it's, it's a wonderful machine. Our brains and bodies are wonderful machines, right? And mm. we need to have this because we don't wanna learn every single day how to brush our teeth, what's dangerous, yeah. not to touch fire. Right. Yes, that no, completely. But it, but it can get out of balance. It's so interesting yes. when I hear you speak. It's almost like we have, so we use the word program, but we've learned we've learned how to survive in a high stress environment, and we've <laughs> and we've picked up these habits that seem very normal, i.e., you know, having a job, you know, all the things that we do, but we're um, we haven't been taught how to actually manage that. And, um, and so when you, when you say things like, when was the last time you were in, like, sitting in silence, for example, mm. I would guess many people will relate to that. Um, mm. And it's, well, how do we break that pattern? Because you get, because it's sad, you know, in the work I do, I talk to a lot of people who experience burnout and that's the moment mm. when they realize that the plan that had got them to that, point wasn't exactly a great plan and uh, they know. <laughs> but you know everything that we do and talk about is about prevention early intervention yeah. um, around yeah. that and recognizing the the challenges that we have biologically mentally of um, trying to balance the different uh, the different balls in 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 mm. life and um, and reducing the risks because that's really yeah. what you're talking about there's inherent risk yes. in terms of the way we're leading our yes. lives yeah. And, and, and also in terms of our biology, there is an inherent risk. Inherent risk there. But what you also said, which I find super empowering, is we do have a choice. You know, yes. this um, this um, zone of power. I love this. Yes. <laughs> and it's the, really, it becomes, and we may not think we've got a choice, yeah. but you actually do have a choice. Which zone yeah. are, are we going to occupy today? And uh, probably really the only choice, mm. to be honest with you. Probably really the only real moment of freedom you know, because it is ultimately about freedom when you're like, freedom. yes, okay, so there is a pandemic. Yes, I've, I've lost everything I've worked for. That was been my experience at some point in my life. I've lost everything. What's left? And, and you see what's left, what's left is you. And mm -hmm. it's incredibly, an incredibly powerful experience an incredibly powerful experience where you can say, I decide, I decide this experience of life for myself and I'm gonna do it on my own terms. Mm. And really the well-being protocol is about that, giving people, empowering people to really take that step. And it's a very easy step. It's about a decision. I want power. I wanna live life on my own terms. Okay, so that means a, an amount of commitment, okay. So I commit to understanding how my brain works and what are the ways in which I need to address some of the things that aren't serving me. What's serving me right now? Yes. If something is serving me, leave it there. Perfect. Move on. What's not serving me? Then, okay, I address that, right? And so it, it is understanding how, how is your perception of safety? That's very um, important. And I think people don't often ask themselves, okay, stress it means at some level i'm not feeling safe mm. what is making me not feeling safe mm. 
you can identify that. I love that. Yeah, because mm. then you think, okay, I have this deadline for a client and I feel an enormous amount of stress. Stress is fear. Coming back to that is fear. Mm. Something is at stake. That's really important. Stress means something that you care about is at stake because yes. you do not feel stress about something you don't care about. You just don't care. So yes. you don't feel any stress. So stress, something that you care about is at stake. It, it, so that means at some level you're afraid. That means at some level you feel unsafe. So what is it? And oftentimes when people go through this process of inquiry that we have, they realize really that worry that was about you know performance for a client, it's really about how, um, how people are going to see me, you know? Am I going to be good enough? And I think one of the things that I do want to say um, that we should not underestimate the importance of is the fact that we are wired in our very, in the very ways in which our brain functions and our immune system functions and our nervous system functions, we are wired to be social. Mm. And so any threat that is linked to our belonging is interpreted very, um, is, is given high priority by the brain in terms of mm. responses. It's interesting. So, so like, like lockdown would be perceived as a lockdown. threat. Lockdown. Of course. Um, even something as simple as a student, when they go to school, the feedback that a teacher gives them, the grade that they get, because it's like, okay, when you are evaluated, it means that you have to perform in order to feel safe and to feel that you are a valued member of a group. Of course. Because mm. if you don't feel valued, you feel unsafe. Mm. You kind of get excluded and all of those yes. things. Yeah. Yes. So it, it's, it's, it's fascinating. It, it, fe mm. it feels like we have a lot more work. There's, we've, we've made such progress in terms of really understanding mm. that connection over the last um, you know few years and the work that you've yes. been doing but it feels like we've got a lot further to go to create a system that really supports people to be able to um, be free I guess using your your yeah. your, your language because because uh, stress is a, a threat makes us feel unsafe and often mm. the threat is in our own minds. It's a yeah. perceived threat, uh, as you're saying, rather yeah. than an actual physical threat. And uh, um, it's fascinating. So the protocol, how, how does that, what does that look like? Are there a number of steps? How long does it take for people to actually yeah. complete it? Because it feels like we all need to do this protocol. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, yes, there are two parts. One is the foundation and the other one is the mastery. So okay. each uh, part has 12 steps. Um, really, we go to um, really 12 sessions. And so we explore different aspects related to our um, related to our perception and also related to our physiology, the way our body responds to stress. And we learn that by changing the way we talk to ourselves, we learn certain scripts that, for example, help you change your physiology and this is groundbreaking work and and if anyone wants to look up for example the work of a researcher called Aliyah Kram and she works in the field of mindset and she's measured the physiological response just one example of her study um, um, 
people who were having intense physical jobs, right? But they didn't know their jobs were uh, constituting physical exercise. Just They just thought their jobs are hard on their, on their body. When she told them, no, 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 your job constitutes physical exercise, those people actually in three weeks lost weight. Their blood pressure came to normal because at the beginning of the study, they had the same markers at people who, as people who were not exercising. So interesting, right? fascinating. Compared to a control yeah. group, mm. compared to a control group that had no change whatsoever. Wow. So look at her. This is a study done on um, hotel attendance. So mm. she she uh, looked at seven hotels in the U.S. Uh, three of them were the control group. Four of them were the intervention. The only thing different she she did was, um, well, she went in and measured everyone's weight and um, body mass and blood pressure, and she all of the indices were those of people who did not exercise. And indeed those asked, they were like, no, no, I never exercise. Okay. All she did, the only difference was she went to the intervention group and told them, you know what, actually your jobs, for example, lifted, um, lifting a mattress burns this many calories, uh, vacuuming burns this many calories. All of this was fact, by the way, scientific mm -hmm. fact. Mm -hmm. That's all she did. Three months later, went in there, all the fact, all, all, all of the, um, their weight was reduced and they hadn't exercised. They didn't change anything in their diet or whatever. This was the only thing that wow. was different. So they just changed, they reframed the way they looked at it. It's so interesting, yes. the power of language and the yes. language, the words we tell ourselves. Same study she did with, uh, with a milkshake. Two points in time, same people. Monday morning, get into the lab, drink this milkshake. The first milkshake had this example oh this is a decadent milkshake and it said the calories blah 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 next week monday morning have this milkshake this is a sensi drink a low calorie healthy drink and so she these people were hooked up in real life to um to to blood monitor so they what what she was doing she was measuring the real time level of ghrelin ghrelin is a hormone that tells us we are full so when we're hungry, we've got a lot of ghrelin in our blood, and as it reduces, we're, we're, we're feeling full. And so she could measure the level of this hormone. And as expected, when you drink something that is like calorie indulgence, whatever, your hormone level drops more because you feel more full, right? Now, the secret was people had the same shake, both weeks, both weeks. The only difference was that piece of paper that they read about what they were drinking. Wow. And yeah. their Amazing. blood level of hormone was absolutely different. So that's the power of mindset. It's it's inc it's incredible yeah. and it shows how little we really know about it. I and mean, yeah. it's like it's really emerging but you know the placebo and and a lot of these um, examples where I, I feel we haven't really studied that. We just kind of mm. we don't know. I think maybe we've we've um in that kind of example, we tend to focus too much on the actual um, external, like you focus mm. on the milk rather than on the person. Whereas what you're saying is the person, there were two people, there was, the only difference was they had a completely different mindset yeah. about that particular product. And physiology, uh, physio physiologically, um, the reaction was so different. Wow. I mean, the implications for that, for solving many of the problems that we experience as, yeah. um, as people are phenomenal and incredible. Cool. And I think, um, just picking up on what you said earlier, I think we've made incredible progress, both in terms of research, but also in terms of workplaces, 
understanding and embracing concepts like psychological safety, for example. Mm. Um, and I think there is a beautiful progression towards uh, creating more balance. But I think that needs that kind of work needs to be continued and really an understanding fundamentally that when you have people that feel they are in their zone of power, when they feel really fearless, mm. it does not preclude someone from being productive. You know, on the contrary, it brings a sense of balance with that productivity. Yes. Because if not, part of the society in which we live in is very um, imbalanced. There's this drive for more, 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 more. But mm. this is not sustainable. It's not in harmony with the rhythms of nature. Look at nature. There is a moment of growth, of harvest, but then there needs to be rest, right? It's, it, it's true. It's, it's, and, yeah. I was just going to say, um, you realize that we as people are nature, you know, because yeah. often we're thought of as separate from nature, but in truth we are in those natural yeah, cycles absolutely. and those rhythms, we have to align. Otherwise we too um, become ill before our time. Yeah. And it, it, it's fascinating. I'm conscious of time and I feel yeah. we could, we could, uh, we could talk forever and we definitely need to have a, a, a part two. Um, but where can people find, uh, find you and, uh, and, uh, and learn more about the wellbeing protocol? Yes, they can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Georgie Toma, Dr. Georgie Toma. They can also find me on our website, um, heartbrainworks.org. And um, yes, I'm very happy to continue this conversation. Awesome. Yeah. And you're yeah. based in, you're, uh, we didn't even touch this at the beginning. You're in New Zealand now. Yes. Yes. yes I'm in New Zealand now, in Auckland. Yeah. Okay. So you're from uh, Romania originally? I'm and... from Romania originally. I lived in the States. I lived in Spain, in Australia, New Zealand. Oh, wow. So yeah. you've traveled around. Interesting. Yes. Uh, but now New Zealand's home. Yeah. Uh, New Zealand's home now. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for spending some thank time you, with Lawrence. us. And I'd, I'd love to just acknowledge you or just take a moment for all the wonderful work that you're doing. Um, in Know, really to help uh, people and organizations experience more well-being when when you speak and the research really supports this it's it feels like a very easy thing to do you know it's like of course yeah. you know when we when, when we hear those examples and we reflect on our own lives we go oh wow it sounds really um you know i've, I've fallen for the wrong program here so now i need to <laughs> reprogram but like, but like you said and I, i'd love to leave everyone with that point is it's not a quick fix if mm. you commit to your well-being and you commit to the well-being of your organization then uh you can continue going in the direction i guess that's why your your um, your your well-being protocol uh is is in a number of different phases to help people continue moving forward so they can get the real the real value and the real and the real benefits so thank yeah. you for your time today and, thank you uh, lawrence <laughs> see you next time and thank you everyone you. For, for your time bye now